Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It's a brand new Flyers Daily for Friday, the 21st of October. Another day without a game for the Flyers. Uh, their first multi-day break of the season. But they'll be back at it coming up tomorrow against Nashville. And then on Sunday at Wells Fargo Center against the San Jose Sharks. They'll round out the month with three home games. San Jose, Florida, and the Carolina Panthers. couple things before we get to the meat and potatoes here. First of all, I'm not sure. Did you see the Flyers reverse retro jerseys? Some black in there, white jersey. Flyers going to wear those eight times this season. They'll be available and all the merchandise will become available. All the reverse retro merchandise. I'm not sure if you can get the Cooper also, which is pretty cool. Uh, will all become available on November 15th online at the Wells Fargo Center team stores. You can also order online. Here's the eight games that the Flyers will wear the reverse retro jersey. Tuesday, November 8th against the St. Louis Blues. I wonder if the other teams are going to wear their reverse retro as well. Because the Blues one I thought was really cool. Uh, Wednesday the 23rd against the Washington Capitals. Friday the 25th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's uh, Black Friday, the NHL Thanksgiving showdown. Thursday, December 1st against the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's an 80s throwback Thursday as well. Also December 15th against the Devils. Thursday the 5th of January against the Arizona Coyotes. Saturday, January 14th against the Washington Capitals, and January 19th versus the Chicago Blackhawks. So I'd love to get people's thoughts. Tweet me, DM me what you think of the reverse retro jersey. You can look at it two ways. You can have just the jersey, or you can also look at the jersey and the Cooperalls. Now, they won't wear the Cooperalls in games. That would have to go through the NHL offices, and frankly, the Cooperalls weren't very practical. I actually was playing youth hockey and at that time, in 83, 84, when they wore the Cooperalls. And everybody was wearing them, obviously. They took away the sock. But the Cooperall pant, the long pant, was too slick. When you're wearing a, a hockey sock and you go down, it provides you a little grip. It's easier to get up. has a little stopping power to it. The Cooperall pant, you just slide down the ice. But they will wear them for warm-ups, and they are super Cool looking. Only two teams ever in the NHL wore the Cooperalls, the long pants. It was the Philadelphia Flyers for two years, and the Hartford Whalers wore them as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing those in warmups and seeing what the jersey looks like in the stadium. You know, I'm not sure when the NHL went away from the home team wears light or white, but they wear their orange jersey or their dark jerseys now. It used to always be. That's how you could tell who the home team was. The team in white was the home team. The team in their road color uniform was the road team. I'm not sure when that changed. I kind of like the home whites better. So we'll see uh, what people think of the new reverse retros and uh, what they have put out around the league. Some pretty cool ones. Some ones I kind of look at and go, what team is that even for? But cool thing to see. And I think these ones will sell pretty darn good. Also, coming up on Sunday, Flyers will be back home to take on the San Jose Sharks. And there's also a Phillies game that day, so got to let you know this, that if you're going down to the game, you have a ticket, doors uh, for the East Food Hall and Bar will open at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Game's not until 7, and you'll be able to get at the East Food Hall $5 beers and dollar hot dogs until full arena opens at 5.30. So you can come down, watch the Phils, who start, I think, at 2.17-ish, and come down, enjoy the game. Uh, with your fellow Flyer fans and Philly sports fans, and enjoy the great Phillies-Flyers doubleheader. It's not often you get the Phillies-Flyers doubleheader. 
maybe if the Flyers are in the playoffs and the Phillies are early in their season in April and May and, God willing, June, but that's one of those doubleheaders that you don't get very often. The Flyers-Eagles doubleheader or Flyers-Sixers doubleheader is pretty common. Flyers-Phillies, not so much. So come down early and enjoy that. We're going to get to some leftover DMs that I got from uh, Flyers Twitter that I want to uh, jump into in this episode. But first, I want to look at Carter Hart because he's off to an amazing start. And you can attribute the start to this season, the 3-1 and one record. He's played in three games and has wins in all of them, has allowed two goals in all of them. His team has not scored first in any of them, and they've bucked the trend and they've won those games. So Carter so far this season in the three games played has allowed six goals, 105 shots on goal, 99 saves, and a 943 save percentage. Pretty darn good. Good number, high number. Now, it's interesting when you look back at Carter and his starts to seasons. I I tapped into my buddy, goalie expert from In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley. He's been on this podcast before, and he's out in the Vancouver area. He runs In Goal Magazine. They do a podcast on goaltending specifically. He is a goalie guru. A lot of people tap him for different things. So I texted Woody, and I just asked him, I said, you know, what are the traits of a goaltender that gets off to a good start? What what does it take? I said, what, what do you think it is about goalies that traditionally start seasons very strong? In other words, what are the factors that lead to a strong start for a goaltender? And what he said was pretty interesting. He said, um, lots of changes in personnel might lead to challenges with reads. Flyers had a pretty good amount of turnover. He said, do goalies with more structure and less reliance on reads fare better early? We know Carter relies on his structure quite a bit. His play reading is very good, but he's very technical and sound in his movements, doesn't overplay things. And he said, guess it would be that holds true. Not sure who does and doesn't start well beyond this season. And sometimes it's all mental. He said, for example, Roberto Luongo was terrible in October's in Vancouver, typically, and tried all kinds of things to change it, but rarely seemed to start strong. So I asked him about Luongo and his mental makeup. I said, Luongo, I'm assuming was a mentally strong goalie. I would think mental prep, detail and technique, and a good offseason of preparation play a role. And what Kevin said was that Luongo had his share of mental blocks over the years, strong technically for that era, but relied on good reads. All goalies do, of course, but varying degrees, and my bet is those who play more of a defined system, if Puck is here, I do this, would be better early than guys who play with more flow and feel. So I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to look back at Carter's starts to seasons. I'm not going to go back to his rookie year because he was called up that year. So that's a little bit different. But we'll go back to his first full season, which, of course, was the 1920 season. So in the first 10 games, that's what I've determined is a start even though that was a 69-game regular season because of the pandemic. But his first 10 games that season, he had a record of 5-3-1. He allowed 24 goals. He saw 216 shots, 192 saves, and only had an 889 save percentage. He had one shutout. That was in the second game of the season when they returned home from the Czech Republic where they started the season against the Chicago Blackhawks, and he got that shutout over the New Jersey Devils. But... An 889 save percentage is not that gaudy, but a record of 5-3-1. Sometimes save percentage doesn't necessarily correlate with the team's record. So let's go to the next season, the 2020-21 season. In the first 10 games that year, Carter Hart had a record of 5-2-3. He allowed 32 goals, 
saw 325 shots. It's a lot of shots, 32.5 per game, easy math, 293 saves, and had a 902 save percentage. So again, a below average save percentage, 902, but a 5-2-3 and three record to start the year. We know things went sideways that season, and in particular, the month of March, but that's how he started that season, the 2020-2021 season. So the 21-22 season last year, first 10 games of the year, Flyers had a record, or Carter had a record, of 5-3-2, allowed 22 goals, two, uh, 337 saves, so slightly up on the shots allowed per game, and 315 saves. He had a 935 save percentage. So if you go back two years, he had, in that season, that if you go back two years, again, to that 1920 season, he had an 889 and a 5-3-1 and record, and two years later, he had a 935 save percentage and a 5-3-2 and two record and one shutout. So save percentage doesn't always correlate to the team success. And again, this year, in three games, Carter Hart has made 99 saves on 105 shots and a 943 save percentage. Is that a sustainable path for this team to have success? Uh, I don't know. I, that's tough. I mean, you're not going to maintain a 943 save percentage. That's an insanely ludicrous number, but well, last year Igor Shosturkin, for example, played in 53 games, had a 9.35 save percentage, but his team was in the bottom third of shots allowed. Ilya Sorokin, his team was 11th in shots allowed last year and had a 9.25 save percentage. Those were the top two. Number three was Freddie Anderson for the Carolina uh, Hurricanes, 9.22 save percentage, but Carolina allowed the least amount of shots against per for last season. Calgary was in the bottom five, allowing the least amount of shots. And Jacob Markstrom, a 922. So can you correlate volume with save percentage to team result? I'm not sure how they exactly line up. We'll see how that plays out. It obviously has a lot to do with what's in front of you. There's been better structure in front of Carter Hart, even though there's been a high volume of shots. And like I always say, it's not necessarily about the amount of shots. It's the high-quality scoring chances. In texting further with Kevin Woodley from Ingle, he told me that the other day the Vancouver Canucks had a game. They only gave up 18 shots in the game. Nine of them were deemed high-danger chances. Half the shots were deemed high-danger chances. I thought that, I mean, that's almost insane. You only see 18 pucks, but nine of them are 10 bellers. All right, so ultimately, where does this all go from here? When you look look at the shots allowed per games played so far this season, the Devils have actually allowed the least amount of shots. They have a 1-2 and two record in three games. Uh, the Leafs have allowed the second least amount of shots in four games. They're 2-2. Two and two. Carolina, they're 3-0. and oh. They've allowed the third least amount of shots in the NHL. Go to the Flyers. The sixth most shots average per game at 35.3. They've got a record of three and one. And then conversely, you go back to a team like Vancouver, like I mentioned, it gave up the 18 shots, but nine were high danger. They give up the 10th fewest shots in the NHL at 29.8, but they're 0-3 and one on the season. So shots are not one of those things that's indicative of team success as well. It's about the quality of opportunity. Flyers are a team. John Tortorella says, other guys got to score. They got to do it by committee. That's the way it is. They don't have a guy that's going to go out and 
put up 40 goals, 45 goals, and be an offensive goal-scoring dynamo. They don't have that on their roster. The structure they maintain in their D zone, even though they may give up a decent amount of volume of shots, if they can keep the high danger chances, the stuff inside the dots and in the middle to a minimum, then goalies like Carter Hart are going to have a great season because a goalie will take those shots outside the dots, clear-sighted, without having to cross over the slot line. They'll take those all day. And so far for the Flyers, the D-zone structure has been pretty darn good. The goalie's been pretty darn good too. Carter's made some unbelievable saves. He's made the fifth most uh, saves in the NHL to this point. Some of those goalies that are ahead of him have actually played one more game. So he is off to a very good start. Great to see. All right, let's get to a couple uh, spillover DMs that I just have not been able to get to in a little while. And I wanted to get to some of these because I appreciate everybody that either DMs me or shoots me a tweet with a question or comment. I, I read them all. I try and respond to as many as I can. Sometimes I won't respond typing back to you, uh, but I will respond in this way. And I wanted to get to this one from Juno3127. He said, well, he had this one first that I missed back on January 1st of 2022. He said, hi, Jason, I'm a Flyer fan, just old enough to have witnessed the Cooper Alls in person. How ironic that I get this today. Uh, But too young to have seen the cup years. He's 48 years old. He said, I can relate to you and Bill's appreciation for Pelly Lindbergh. He was my childhood hero, and his untimely death had a major impact on my life. Do you or Bill have any stories you can share about watching him when you were young? Happy New Year. Love the show. Sincerely, also named Jason. Um, Happy New Year. It's it's a little late, but anyway. uh, Pelly Lindbergh was the first sports hero I ever had. I can't speak for Bill. I'll ask him about it on the next Ask Billy on Monday. But he was the first sports hero I ever had. It was the mask. I was just drawn to it. The way he played, he was so quick. And I just, I was at that age when he came in, about 11 years old, and was just mesmerized by Pelly Lindbergh. And it was also the first time I remember in my life, uh, you know, unbelievable sadness when he passed. I still have somewhere here the newspaper articles from when he died, from the Bulletin and the Philadelphia Inquirer. A lot of those articles written by Al Morgani, who you see on Flyers pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And I used to ask Al when I worked with him in radio all kinds of questions because he was close with Pelly and his wife, Kirsten, at the time. So, uh, you know, Pelly was unbelievable. Small, competitive, and what could have been just tragic. Uh, His other question, Juno3127, he says, Hey, Jason, in response to expectations for this season question, I want to watch a team that can lose with dignity, leaving fans feeling like their team gave everything they had, despite knowing that everything they had probably wasn't going to be enough to begin with. I'd be satisfied watching 82 games of that, knowing that better days are ahead. Losing with dignity is a huge thing for me. I agree with you. You win with class, you lose with dignity. And the way you can lose with dignity, and I totally agree with what you said, Juno, is knowing that you played an honest game. That is dignity. Being a pro, going out there, not taking anything for granted. Yeah, you're not going to have your A game every day. But going out there with dignity and pride and playing hard, that is something. That That is one of those building blocks that the Flyers from a culture and standard perspective, to use those two words again, really need to rebuild. 
John Tortorella, I think, is the right guy to do that. We know about his levels of accountability and the standard that he holds players to. I think he's the right guy at the right time, not only for this team, but for the organization. Uh, Greg Cellini uh, texted in and said, DM me, he said, I do have the belief that Torts can use this season to determine which pieces fit and which do not. Chemistry in hockey is imperative and something I think this club has been lacking for years. He says, as a fan, my plan to stay sane this year is not to worry about wins and losses this season. I'll be watching the progress of this group becoming a team instead of a collection of individuals. I have faith not only in torts to facilitate that chemistry over time, but also in conjunction with that to play guys where they fit best, no matter what their contract and their term look like. These are the things I trust torts to do. What will the results be? I'll be tuning into you to listen all about it all season. So yeah, I mean, Greg, I mean, there's a lot of belief in torts right now, and that's easy to say today because they, they started off three and one. They've been working their rear ends off on the ice. They've been resilient. They've gotten down, but they've battled back in every game. They didn't come back and win the Florida game, but they came back and tied that game heading into the third period with a resilient effort on a back-to-back after playing Tampa the night before while Florida rested the night before. Those are the things that Torts brings to the table, and it's one of the reasons why I really wanted him here. Uh, we got this one from John Causey. He said, that, hey, Jason, Flyers, huge Flyer fan in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hello, Charlotte. I hope Coach uh, Tortorella breaks this team's bad habits and instills a new attitude of endless effort, team responsibility, and gives the younger players a confidence to make plays and grow together. Not expecting a lot of Ws, but change the foundation. Then next year, draft a stud. And let's get the Flyers back in the playoffs. Love the daily podcast. Keep up the great work. Well said, John. We'll see about where they draft. That's going to play itself out after 82 games and a lottery, if they're in the lottery. I'm not changing any expectations, not raising them, lowering them, or anything. I'm going into this kind of like Torts has said, like a fact-finding mission. So I'm not changing anything at this point, but there's, there's a lot of work to do. And there's a lot of runway still in front of him. A ton of runway still in front of him. Chris Peters DM'd me and said, Hey, Jason, was just wondering your thoughts on the penalties the Flyers have been taking in the first couple of games. Not only the quantity, but the kinds of penalties they are. At least half of the penalties taken are what I would call lazy penalties. Hooking, tripping, and holding penalties. They seem to be putting in more pace and effort, as we knew Torts would bring, but still seem to be getting caught taking these penalties. Curious why you think this may be. Uh, I think this one's pretty simple, Chris. It's the beginning of a year. Refereeing and the way they officiate games always crack down. They always do. They call way more penalties, and eventually it ends up settling down. I think it'll settle down again. We'll see how that plays out, but they always call it tight in the beginning of the year. All right, one more here. This one came from AK at Cool Beans 1337. He said, hey, completely non-Flyers related question. But do you have a Spotify music playlist that's public that I can listen to? Awesome work with the podcast, by the way. And I I didn't even know what that is. So I said, I'm assuming you mean for the songs that I close out the podcast with, that I put at the end of every episode. A lot of times those songs at the end of the episode will have some sort of subliminal meaning. It won't be obvious. Sometimes it might be obvious. I may have the song pick up when I'm done talking at a specific point with a specific lyric for a specific reason. 
some people have picked up on that. They DM me and go, I know why you played that or whatever it might be. So listen out for that. So I didn't have a Spotify playlist created, but I did create one. And I've been adding songs to it, ones that I like to use here on the podcast. Obviously, they fit my musical taste. I'm still a heavy metal fan, but to me, there's only two kinds of music, good music and bad music. I like some country. I like hard rock. I love metal. I like Johann Sebastian Pachelbel. I, I like classical music. I like If it's good, I like it. So I'm going to keep adding stuff to this Spotify playlist. I think I got it up to about nine hours right now. And I will tweet it out. So if you want the Spotify playlist, I'll tell you what. My Spotify playlist will be good for working out. If you want to get the juices flowing, there's going to be some pretty aggressive stuff in there. So I will tweet that out as well. And if you ever have any questions or comments or criticisms or anything, you can always DM me on Twitter, at Jason Mert. Shoot me a tweet or DM me, and I will absolutely read them, and they may end up on the show. Just know that when you DM me, it could end up on the show, and if you don't want it on the show, be sure to tell me that as well. Uh, Everybody, thanks for listening. Flyers will be back at it tomorrow. They'll take on the Nashville Predators to wrap up this three-game road trip. We'll preview it on a Saturday edition, so enjoy your Friday. Back at it tomorrow, two games this weekend, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand new Flyers Daily.